Hello and welcome to The Poetry of Science. In a slight change from our usual format, in this episode I'll be speaking to the poet Paul Pearson about his recent poetry collection, Lunatic Engine, and its various poetic and scientific influences. Raised in a mining town in the mountainous backcountry of southeastern British Columbia, Paul has since relocated to Edmonton, where he lives and writes with his wife and two children. Lunatic Engine is his debut collection of poetry, and I'm delighted to welcome him to the poetry of science. Hello, Paul, and welcome to the poetry of science. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journeys into the liminal spaces betwixt science and poetry? Fantastic. Thanks, Sam. And thanks for, for having me. I uh, really, uh, really appreciate it. So yes, I was born and raised in a teeny tiny mining town in British Columbia, uh, less than 3000 people perched on top of a mountain, uh, which was basically a, a bedroom for the miners who were taking the top off, uh, off the mountain to, to get at the coal, uh, which you can actually see from space on, on Google Earth. It's, uh, it's fascinating if you're, if you're curious. So um, but I was, uh, you know, raised in a, a small family, me and my brother and my, my mother and, and, and father. And, and uh, you know, my father was an amateur uh, astronomer, um, though he had uh, barely a grade eight uh, education. He was, he was a self-taught astronomer. And uh, being perched on top of a mountain, there was very little light pollution and, uh, and just a magnificent view of, uh, of, the, of the stars of the night sky. So spent a lot of, of time uh, as a child looking up uh, my mother was not very science oriented. She as well barely had a, a, a grade eight education, um, but she was extremely literate and uh, and read widely um, from you know history, poetry, literature, and, and so I come by the I think the interest in those two things um, honestly, uh, and uh, and just you know sort of went went from there. Oh, fantastic. And your new collection of poetry, Lunatic Engine, which is published by Turnstone Press, is a great title. Can you expand a little bit on, on where that came from and what its um, provenance is? So um, there are a few things going on there. On the, on the surface, L Lunatic Engine was, uh, was one of my first email addresses, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> I just liked the sound of the phrase Lunatic Engine and, and both the imagery and, and, and the you know, consonants of, of that. Um, but the book is, is based on and, and takes a great deal from um, Davis Sobel's Galileo's Daughter. Uh, and so Galileo had had uh, three illegitimate children, two daughters, both of whom spent their lives uh, in the convent of San Mateo, confined um, by by God in 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 some ways. And um, the idea of of being confined, uh, you know, one talks about being confined to uh, to a convent in, in uh, some of the same language. One one talks about people being confined to the asylum in. In, uh, in previous times, um, as well as as you know, lunatic and that that moon driven and you know Galileo's uh, one of his biggest most you know uh, important discoveries, of course, were the moons around around Jupiter and and so the idea of of that being the engine driving um, uh, science and humanity and creativity forward uh, is just made for a really beautiful image coupled with with the with the religion and the Catholicism. No, absolutely. I, I know the book is obviously very heavily influenced by the work of Galileo, and, and, and you touched on that there. Do you think it's more 
the science of Galileo or the religious aspect of Galileo or, or something between the both? That's a really interesting question. At first, it was the science of, of Galileo. You know, my mother was uh, was Sicilian and, and Catholic, and we were raised Catholic. But, you know, there are a lot of issues with uh, with that uh, with that particular religion. And, and early on, you know, um, I, as soon as I was able to make a choice, I decided that I was not <laughs> Catholic, uh, and and quite staunchly so. So I was originally attracted to to the science, but as I read more and and saw how, you know, Galileo was an intensely religious religious man and and reconciling those two different ways of of knowing and realizing that that they're talking about different things and and um you know what that opens up um for making sense of our our existence um on this this crazy planet right now um really uh, evolved naturally and and came together that way there's a beautiful line do you, do you mind me quoting some of your own work uh just there's a I, I, I really love the book, um, but in, in your piece, Discourse on the Comets, you write, no matter which vocabulary you use to describe it, the one thing we all fear is that we are really alone, no matter which tool we use. So look up way up, whether with wine or poetry or virtue, whether with science or religion or art, one must always be like a drunken boat, floating in a sea of stars, bright sparks, wandering beautifully alone together forever i love that passage and it, it like for me that's like a real pulse of the book and do you think that this is one of the commonalities that science and poetry and even religion share that that each of them in their own way are searching for something else some other Absolutely, I'm so pleased that you that you picked up on on that because there's so much going on in in that uh, in that collection of of phrases, uh, many of which are lifted from other uh, other bits of of literature. You know, Rambeau and Baudelaire and uh, and the Friendly Giant uh, kids show here in in Canada, um, and and so it's it's you know being a, a bit meta perhaps, um, but but really that 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 quest for for knowledge and solace and comfort and and connection um, is the through line for for everything in, in human existence from the very first you know cave painting uh, onwards and you mentioned that you know the book and in the introduction as well you talk about how David Sabel you know the, the award-winning incredible writer um, her, her work influenced you and I think some of the letters that she originally translated for her book about Marie Celeste was what inspired you and, and, and you drew a lot of influence from. I just want you to tell me a little bit about the footnotes in your collection um, and how that's related to Maria Celeste as well because you've done something quite fun with them. Yeah, uh, it, you know, one of the one of the more challenging bits of the of the book to write. Um, so as I was going through the material and, and Davis Sobel's translations of of the letters uh, from from Galileo's daughter to to Galileo are, are absolutely beautiful and they're collected in a separate volume called called Letters to Father. Uh, so between you know Galileo's writing, uh, which is fantastic as as well, he was a, he was a really beautiful, fluid writer, and his daughter, who was just a magnificent writer. I mean, in another age, uh, she she could have been a a poet. So much poetry is is in that you know the 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 poetry of of daily life and major scientific ad advancements um 
that I didn't I didn't want to to lose some of these images and some of these these thoughts. There was just so much uh, data as it as it were. Um, so throughout the collection of the first part of the, the collection, um, I footnote various lines, uh, and uh, and then the text um, that is uh, that the footnotes refer to are more quotes from either Galileo's writings or Galileo's uh, daughter's letters. Um, and uh, and then those are are collected and, and the, the footnotes are numbered non-sequentially um partially non-sequential there's there's two footnote numbers there one sequential and one kind of non-sequential uh, and there are multiple ways to arrange both the text that is footnoted and the footnoted text at the bottom of each page to sort of rearrange that data to try and and look at it in a different way to pull different types of meaning from it. Uh, the book itself has, has two of those poems um, written down in it, so you can see how, how these sort of uh, found poems work uh, and, the, and the lovely surprising um, insights that, that come from that. And then there are two blank pages uh, following that for the reader to, to take notes and to collect the data and rearrange it uh, in, in whatever way they, they see fit. Uh, so it's an invitation to to play along and to participate and to to process um, uh, the, this data and, and and get your own results, kind of. No, absolutely. I mean, and it's really interesting listening about your upbringing as well, because it clearly, I mean, for me at least, influences your writing. And when you wanted to start the the, the book of the poetry, was it always astronomy as the initial idea of science that you wanted to start with because of maybe the love of your father's um, astronomy as well? Is, is that where that came from? Yeah, I think that was the, the germination, um, you know, because the night sky is so striking in northern Alberta, Canada. I, I mean, uh, the northern lights uh, at our latitude here in, in Edmonton, um, we we see them quite often uh, throughout throughout the year. So uh, you know the night sky is really dominant in uh, in our in our lives. We've got a great dark sky preserve in a national park just a, a little bit east of of the city, um, which is fantastic as as well. So it started with astronomy, but you know even while I was in university doing you know an honors degree in English literature, uh, um, uh, we of course had to do science uh, options uh, to uh, to round out our education and. Uh, you know, I, I did an astronomy course and a biology course and a symbolic logic course, and and that sort of systemic thinking has always um, fascinated me. Uh, in in addition to the, the, the pure poetry of, of literature, and I think that oftentimes people turn to religion, don't they, in in times of great global strife, as as, as we're facing at the moment in many ways. And but I think there's a, a beautiful reminder here that. In addition to that, we can also turn to, you know, the certainty of, of the universe in, in many ways that things will continue. And astronomy offers us that great hope. And, and, and in particular, there's a beautiful section in um, the poem, The Last Lost, which just starts, like him, I want to put the stars in their proper places to stop this wandering, to be sure, to be fixed. And I think that's just amazing because, you know, it's reminding us that we look up at the night sky, right? And it, it's, it's this blanket of, of comfort, really, that obviously we know the stars aren't fixed, but, but we feel fixed because of it. And so much of Galileo's work was about unpicking that and the extent to which the stars were or were not moving. But we look up and they're, they're there. 
and I, I, you know, for me, I think that this this book is is very religious. In, in you know, not necessarily towards a specific religion, but it has that element of faith associated with it that, that reminds us of our place in the universe and you know the, the certainty of of it. I mean, is that something you were you were aiming for as well? Absolutely. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, and the last lost and, and the Baedeker section also refers to Mina Loy, um, who's often referred to as as like the forgotten modernist. Um, mm. You know, a brilliant avant-garde poet uh, in the in the mid part of this this century, who's who's often overlooked. And the thing about the stars and about science is that it isn't beholden to any of our artificial categorizations of gender or race. Or, or any of, of those identity politics or, or prejudice or, or anything, right? It is um, the fixed reality of how the universe works. Um, and it's, it's very comforting to, to know that, that there is that stability, that, that, uh, that, that truth, um, uh, which is sadly so, so lacking in our public discourse these these days um, on social media and, and other places. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a really stunning collection and it's one that I enjoyed reading both on the written page and out loud to myself as well, as I've already demonstrated. And But I was wondering if, if you had a favourite poem in the collection that you'd like to read out loud, maybe for us? Oh, I would, uh, I would love to. I'm going to read a poem that I haven't had a chance to read to anyone yet. Uh, and I, I think it is, uh, ties into our conversation to, to today. Um, it is from the bibliography section. So the last section of the book, uh, the poems are titled based on, on Galileo's published works. Uh, and the first one is called The Little Balance. Uh, and it has two epigraphs. Uh, the first is, lowborn men are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. And that's Psalms uh, chapter 62, verse 9. The second epigraph is from Galileo. Let me speak first of the surface of the moon, which is turned towards us. How many times did these stars rise unnoticed, flickering back and forth in their orbits? Since before the seas were parted from the land, these wandering stars waiting for someone to look up. Think about the moment when it dawned on him that he was the first human to see these moons, the first to know that other planets had other satellites. Imagine how he smiled. The temptation to self-name them must have been strong. Galileo 1, Galileo 2, Galileo 3, Galileo 4. At least they're not called Medici 1, Medici 2, Medici 3, Medici 4. Flippancy aside, how do you name the first new thing since the fall? Try to tip the scale to redress the fact that a common mathematician pierced the prima mobile by attributing the ability, the grace, to your prince. Why name them at all? Galileo and Medici are but words, and words but broken wind, to misquote. But moons swinging around a distant planet, an immediate devastating rupture in the nature of reality from one moment to the next. In a blink, resolved in ground glass, the modern age was born. Faced with new moons, one must only try to remember 
to breathe. Beautiful. Thanks, Paul. And Paul, can you remind us where we can get a copy of uh, Lunatic Engine? Thanks, Sam. Lunatic Engine is available via uh, your favorite online uh, source uh, or directly from uh, my publisher, turnstonepress.com. Uh, um, I, I believe they ship worldwide. Um, and uh, I really appreciate uh, appreciate the time and, and attention. And I love your podcast as well. I'm a huge podcast fan, and I've never uh, actually run across it before. So uh, as soon as I did, I've subscribed and, uh, and <laughs> absolutely love it. It's so great to find you know a, a fellow science poet lover out there. Oh, fantastic! Well, thanks so much, Paul, uh, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Science. If you want to find out more about Lunatic Engine, then please visit the show notes at scipoetry.podbean.com. That's scipoetry.podbean.com, where you can also find out how to get in touch with any questions or comments you might have. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.